Thank you to the worship team. Uh, good morning and welcome to Alpine Church. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teachers here and I'm honored to be with you. Uh, if you've been with us over the, the last few weeks, we've been on a journey through the book of Revelation and today we're actually ending uh, that series. This is week seven and so hopefully you've really enjoyed it as we've kind of gone through uh, the ups and downs of the book of Revelation. You know, many times uh, people think of the book of Revelation and uh, it's this mysterious book with uh, different symbols and creatures and numbers and all these things and we get intimidated by it. But we hope that uh, you've seen what we've tried to do is really uh, kind of set aside our thoughts or ideas or uh, any of those things and really just kind of elevate Jesus to, to unveil Jesus through the book of Revelation. You know, we believe that all of Revelation really points to Jesus, and uh, in fact, we believe all of Scripture does that, and so we hope that you've really, really enjoyed that. Uh, join us next week. We're starting a new series, and we're going to be talking about living life on the bright side. And so today, uh, we are going to be spending most of our time in Revelation chapter, tw- or Revelation chapter 21 through 22, and we're going to specifically be looking at uh, eternity with Jesus. We're going to be looking at what will happen uh, when we get to spend eternity with Jesus in a new heaven and a new earth. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord Jesus, we ask that uh, we would reverently hear your words today. God, would your word become alive and active as your word says that it is? Would it pierce our hearts, God? Uh, Would it show us uh, the great glory that uh, awaits us in your presence? And God, would we just be honored and humbled as we read? God, we long for the day to be in your presence. And so, Lord, um, again, as we dig in, uh, show us just a glimpse. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, So as I've been preparing for this message, uh, I've been thinking about weddings. You know, as a pastor, uh, I get the opportunity to do a lot of really fun things, a lot of really cool things, and one of those things are weddings. And uh, if you know anything about weddings, it's usually supposed to be like this perfect day, right? It's supposed to be this perfect thing, uh, this perfect experience for the bride and for the groom. But 100% of the time in every wedding I've either done or been to, there's always been something wrong that has happened. Right? Isn't that true? I mean, many of the times we go, there's always something, uh, you know, usually it might be something the pastor says that is wrong. I was just telling the story here. Uh, I had given a couple, young couple advice. I was the youth pastor here for many years, and, and I was telling them, listen, uh, bride, this, this day is going to be amazing for you, but it will not be perfect. There will be something that, that goes on. And uh, all, we got all the way to the very end of the wedding, and I said, right before you may kiss the bride, we say, uh, you know, by your love and devotion, and the power invested in the state of Utah, you may kiss your bride. Well, I said, by your love and demotion. And uh, so I said, listen, no, you're not getting demoted here. Johnny, you might be marrying up and she might be marrying down, but it's not a demotion, right? And, and there's been so many crazy things that have happened. There was one wedding that I did where they wanted to have these uh, beautiful doves come out at the end when they uh, got married. And little did they know that they weren't doves. They were actually pigeons. And these pigeons came out with a vengeance. I mean, they were like attacking people. Like, run away, right? Like this crazy wedding. Like all of these things. And, you know, I've been to weddings at a big, amazing venues. I've done weddings at the courthouses. I've seen uh, young children be the flower bearers and the ring bearers, and I've seen dogs be the ring bearers and the flower bearers. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy things that go on in weddings, and what we're going to see today is truly the picture of the ideal, most perfect wedding. 
uh, we're going to see this description of a relationship with God and his people, with God and you and me, in the idea of the beautiful, most perfect wedding that you could ever see. In fact, I believe it's a wedding that all weddings are pointing to. It's a wedding that is pointing to Jesus. And so, uh, if you remember, if you've been with us over the last seven or eight weeks or so, you know we've kind of been looking through the book of Revelation through a few lenses. The first lens is the first century lens, right? John specifically got a vision and he was writing to his audience of that time, which was uh, the first century people. And then we've also talked about looking at it through a future lens. How does this uh, look for our future? The things that we read in Revelation, how does it uh, open up the future for us? What can we understand about what is to come? And then we've also kind of looked at this universal picture, right, like we do with most of Scripture. When we read God's Word, how does it apply to our life? How do we universally, as God's people, read His Word and have it apply to our life? And so this week uh, is kind of one of those unfulfilled prophecy weeks. This is really a lot of what we can expect in the future. In fact, it's what we can expect for eternity when we are in relationship with God eternally. And just like any part of Scripture, even though we're talking about future ideas and, and future things that are to come, I believe this should impact every part of our today life. I think it should impact how we think, how we feel about Jesus, about heaven, about what is to come. And so with that in mind, what we're going to do today is, as we look in Revelation 21 and 22, I really want to highlight some exciting things that we can expect for eternity and it can really open up about our understanding about Jesus and our relationship with him. Uh, so if you're following along in your notes, the first thing that we're going to look at here today is this. Is that the church, God's people, the church, those who have put their faith in Jesus, is like Jesus' bride. And we are invited into an intimate relationship with him. We are invited into an intimate relationship with the God who created heaven and earth, Jesus in the flesh. We believe that the Bible says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, so he stepped down from heaven and came to this world, and we can have a relationship with him. You know, before I got married, uh, I'm your typical guy, I gave absolutely zero thoughts to my wedding. Like, what it was going to be like. I, I didn't really think about uh, anything. I was only thinking about my wife. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she was actually thinking about our weddings, and she was like, you know, yay big. She's always been waiting for that day, and, and she wanted it to be perfect, and she wanted it to be everything. She was a detail, and she was a planner, and believe it or not, even at our wedding, it went wrong. We, we had the wrong flowers delivered to us on our wedding. I didn't even know we were going to have flowers, but they were wrong, and it kind of hurt her and, and, and defeated her, but I think for most people, when you think of a wedding, you want it to be perfect, you want it to be flawless. It's going to be family and friends and fellowship and food and dancing and all of these things, and you want it to go off without a flaw. And again, we know that that doesn't happen. But here's what we're going to see. In Revelation, we're going to see this awesome uh, depiction of the most perfect wedding scenario. Let's read about it in uh, chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Uh, you all know the, the moment when the bride comes down the uh, aisle, don't we? 
Now the music changes and everyone stands and we watch the bride in all of her beauty coming down. And so the depiction we have here is that one day we will see the ultimate picture of the bride. We will see Jesus in all of his glory coming down to be with his people. And so heaven, what we read here is, uh, the heaven in Revelation is actually a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. And so if, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, this is a picture of what our ultimate home will be like. It's a, a, a new earth and a new heaven designed just for you. Just for you and for me. Essentially, this is a new creation. If you've read the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, you know that when God created uh, the heavens and the earth and everything in it, he saw that it was good, didn't he? It was perfect, literally translated And then we also see that he then went on to make man. And what does God say when he makes man? He says, this is very good, right? And so we have this idea that there was this perfect creation. Well, we know if we continue to read just a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, man decides to go against God's way for them. And sin enters the world, and the result of that sin is a separation from the Almighty, Most Holy God. God cannot have sin. And so there's a chasm between God and man based on the sin. And because of that sin, our world was affected. Literally, uh, the way that our world was created, it was perfect, it was now marred. Uh, sin entered the world, and so that, along with that came evil and distraction and destruction and chaos and earthquakes and tornadoes. And so what God once created as perfect was marred. And so now what we're seeing is this is almost a recreation or a regeneration of what was once meant to be perfect. So God is then going to again recreate a new heaven and a new earth, free from sin and from evil and from anything that can separate us from God. We also see, and when we read in this, just a few verses in, it says, and the sea is no more. Now, you might think of that and say, well, there's not going to be any water, there's not going to be an ocean. Well, again, a lot of the things that you read in Revelation are very symbolic. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about, uh, in the Jewish tradition, the sea brought about fear. Uh, There were storms that came up off the sea, and it brought much destruction. There were invaders that would come to take over the land, and they would come by massive boats and ships with their army. And so what John is doing is he's speaking about this, and this vision that he has is literally saying there will be no more chaos. There will be no more, uh, you know, evil. There will be no more uh, death and destruction that will come from the sea. We see that there will be a new Jerusalem, and scholars would say that this is the idea of a city of peace, that there will be no more wars and rumors of wars. This will be a place of pure peace. And this is going to be the place where God and and man dwell together, a new heaven and a new earth. And this whole event is described in terms of a wedding, of us being prepared for Jesus to come and to be with his people forever. If you've been uh, reading along with us in, in the book of Revelation, we kind of challenged everybody in the series to read along chapter by chapter. We hope that you've done that. Uh, if you haven't, that's okay. Uh, but if you remember in chapter 19, just a few chapters earlier, we see a picture of this amazing wedding feast. Uh, we'll read it together. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice. 
Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. Have you ever been the one that hasn't been invited to the wedding? <laughs> you know, you have all your friends or whatever, and they all get invitations, and you're the one that doesn't get invited. That's happened to me quite a few times. Maybe I'm the only loner in the group. I don't know. Uh, but this, what we see here is this picture that this is an invitation for everybody. You know, many people would say, well, if I'm a Christ follower, yeah, I have this invitation or this or that. I mean, this is an invitation, an invitation in a relationship with Jesus Christ with God in the flesh, is for every single person. Now, the Bible says that some will accept invitation and some will not. And we'll talk about that later. But what we see in these verses is the, God's people are described as his holy people. And from a few weeks ago, we see that God's people are to be set apart. They're to be uh, different than the world. And they're to be like Jesus. They're to be distinct from the ways of the world, and so like a bride and a groom getting all dressed up for a wedding, this is the picture that we see. God's people are getting ready for this wedding feast. God is, God's people are getting ready for this wedding where we will be united for eternity, forever with Jesus and with God in the new heaven and the new earth. You see, <clears throat> we're getting to something very fundamental here. Uh, this is what Jesus thinks about weddings. In fact, whenever I do wedding or marriage counseling and, and get, prepare for a wedding, I say, you know, God's intention for uh, a wedding is that we would get closer to Jesus. And in fact, that we would lead our wives and our spouses and our families to be closer to Jesus. And we read about this in Ephesians. It says, for husbands, this means to love your wives just as Jesus Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. You see, that's the gospel. That's Jesus making a way for us to be in this intimate relationship with God. So this is, this is so powerful. It's this marriage is depicted as the most intimate relationship on earth, and it is previewed for us in the same idea with our relationship with God. And my hope for you is that if you have a relationship with Jesus in this room, if you call yourself a Christ follower, that this would change your relationship, your idea and your view of your relationship with God. Because here's the deal. A relationship with God looks like this. It's growing. It's deepening. It's loving. And so my hope is that you see that God desires to be in that kind of relationship with you and with me. So it's, it's powerful that we, we have this picture that Jesus, God in the flesh, wants to have a relationship with us, with his people. And what we're going to see in the future is even something so more, more powerful. And it's, the first thing is this, is that Jesus will forever remove every aspect of our broken past. Have you ever kind of looked back in your past and said, man, I wish I didn't do that? I wish I didn't say that at that time. I wish I didn't make that decision. You know, I, I uh, grew up in a, a very broken home. I've, I've shared the story here in Logan, and uh, my parents were divorced, and they, they were remarried to each other. My dad gave his life to Christ, and uh, they got remarried, and then they got divorced again. <laughs> and so there was this, like, this wild cycle of unhealth, and it did a lot of damage on myself and, and my younger brother, 
um, led us both into addictive personalities. In fact, my little brother lost his life uh, to a heroin addiction a couple years ago. And, and, and I think back in my life and I think, man, what about all of the things that I've done, you know? Like I think of the decisions that I've made and the relationships that I've broken and, you know, the, th- the things that I've said and done to harm people. And I just begin to think, man, what about all of the what-ifs? What if I would have done these things differently? Like, what would have happened? You know, I've got tattoos. I, I wish I could show you, but I do my best to hide these tattoos, you know. I got this past, and, and my kids are always saying, Dad, why do you have that on your body? And I say, I don't know. It was just something to do. But I believe one day God will use my past, and he will erase it, and we will be made new. And I hope he touches my tattoos, and they're all gone. I also hope he trims a little fat around the midline, maybe, you know, like if we're going to be perfect, you know, those kinds of things. But you see, in the future, God isn't going to be concerned with our past. You see, the world tells us that what we've done in our past is a hindrance. It's a roadblock. It's something that separates us from God. But one day, we're going to be in the presence of God, and our past is going to be forgotten. In fact, we're going to be made new, and he's going to move us into a place where there is no longer any more brokenness. Let's read. In Revelation 21, 3 through 5, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now with his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. I love the emphasis there. God will be with us. You see, God isn't some distant God. I mean, many people think he's just out there in the cosmos. Like, I don't get to see him. And it's like, am I ever going to experience him? Well, this is saying that God is in the midst of your detail, even right now. God, all-knowing, all-powerful, knows every moment of our day. He knows every situation, every circumstance. He knows every sin and mistake, and he's ready to forgive us. But one day, we're going to be in his presence where we no longer have to seek forgiveness. Everything will be made new. And it says this, and I want you to hear this if you've experienced difficulty and hardship and brokenness because of a past or a mistake or an addiction or a disease or anything that's overwhelmed you with sin and brokenness in the world. It says this, and I can't wait. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever and the one sitting on this throne said this, look, I, the one who has the power, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And I begin to think about that, and and when we think about this in the picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, when they had everything perfect, and Satan did everything in his power to ruin what God had in perfect and right, and and he he tempted them, and and he said, listen, just this. He says that he doesn't want you to eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but just do it. Surely he wants you to be like him. You know, and that's what happens in our life. We know that we shouldn't do something, but oh, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Separated. This, God will still love you, right? And they made that decision, and because of that, we were separated from God because of sin. But in the future, our relationship with God will be closer than it's ever been. I mean, I, I read that, that story, and I think, oh, man, this is just a, a great, you know, fairy tale story in Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> But in reality, what we're going to see is we are going to experience again what God had created and meant to happen in Genesis 1. 
the very first time, we're going to see something new. And all of the images of emotional distress and difficulties are going to be gone. No more tears, sorrow, crying, or pain. No more sickness. No more addiction. No more broken relationships. No more New England patriots. None of those things that we all have grown to hate. I'm a Falcons fan. Sorry, God, don't strike me by lightning. But all the wrong will be made right. No more persecution and judgment. I mean, this is huge. You know, my little brother, he gave his life to Jesus. There's no doubt in my mind, I, I let him, we prayed the prayer of salvation together. And even though he died in sin, I believe that he is in the presence of the Almighty God with no more addiction, with no more sadness, with no more sickness, with no more any of those things. And I believe that one day, I get to see him again. And I get to worship God with him. You see, th there's a great truth that, uh, th that because of what Jesus did for us, it opens the way that even our broken past can be used for the best for us. And what people view as a shameful situation and a negative situation, God views as an eternity with him because you know what? He put his faith in Jesus Christ. He invited Jesus to be the Lord of his life. And I believe because of that, his eternal destiny was sealed. And I can't wait to worship God with him again. And my hope is that you would feel the same way. That you would see that the things of this world and the things that have broken your past, those aren't ways for you to be defeated or for the enemy to lie to you and tell you that you're not good enough. Because the truth is, is that God is going to make all things new. And he is going to perfect what was imperfect. If we go back to the first century for a moment, the early Christians faced persecution on the hands of Rome, from by the hands of Rome, and so they couldn't see what was happening. I mean, they were all, just because of what they believed, they were persecuted. But what they could do is they had a hope and a future because they believed what Jesus said, and they believed what the Apostle Paul said, and they believed what John said, that one day they would experience eternity in perfection with God again. You know, and, and I, somehow I don't have all the answers on how, but I believe that God will make all things new because his word says it. He will remove the pain of the past and he will give us a new life. He will deal with all the injustice in the world, all of the wrongs, all of the mistakes, all of those things, and he will propel us into a relationship with him that is perfect, that is glorified, and that is honorable. Now, <clears throat> You might be like me and you might say, well, that, well, that's awesome. You know, like my past will be forgotten and I'll be forgiven and all those things are really good. But, but I know, and if you're anything like me, you know that when you want to do good, you usually slip up, right? Usually for me, it's like after I say, God, I, I'm going to stop doing this. It's like maybe a couple days later where the enemy just brings it on thick and I usually fail, right? Thank God for his love and forgiveness, but, but what, I, what I think is so crazy that we can see here, it's not crazy, it's amazing, is that even the greatest godly men experienced this. You remember the Apostle Paul? Remember when he prayed this prayer, like, even though I know the things I ought not to do, I do them anyways? And it's like this constant battle of good and evil. It's like sin and all of these things. And, and, and there's always going to be a slip up. There's always going to be a mistake. And so, yeah, even though I'm forgiven, there's going to be something that happens again. But listen, what we need to understand is nothing, nothing will ever come between us and Jesus ever again. When we stand in the presence of God, when he comes back for his people, when he comes back for you and for me, if we put our faith in him, there will be nothing that has the power to separate us from his love. Again, nothing. 
Not the schemes of the enemy, not uh, the, the lies of Satan, not him telling us we're not good enough, not him getting us to do anything, nothing. Because if you remember just a few chapters earlier, or verses earlier in uh, Revelation chapter 20, I believe around verse 10, what he says, what it says is that he threw Satan into hell with the beast and the Antichrist and all of those in the final judgment. So we will no longer have anything evil around. And so nothing can separate us or ever come between us and Jesus again. Nothing. Nothing. No slip up, no mistake, no you know, addiction that we fall back into. None of those things because everything will be made new and we will be in the presence of the Almighty God. Chapter 21, verses 22 through 27. A, a lot of really richly symbolic things here and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. It, it says, I saw no temple in the city for the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for a sun or a moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter into the city in all their glory. Its gates will, be ne- will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. It says, and all of the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city, nothing evil Nothing evil will be allowed to enter in, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, what what we see here is this picture. You you know, back in the Old Testament time, and even into some parts of the New Testament, uh, the way that people were able to be made right in God's eyes was through a sacrifice in the temple. And so there, if the, for the sins of their people, there was a sacrifice that happened every year on the Day of Atonement, and, and they would have to go through this ritual and routine. And as a matter of fact, it was only the high priest that could go in and make the sacrifice into the most holy place, it was called in the temple. And even he had to have a rope tied around his ankle, because if he wasn't prepared and right in the presence of God, he would die. And they would have to pull him out, and they couldn't go in, because they too would be struck dead. And you see, here's the thing. Back then, in the old way of things, we had to be right to be in the presence of God. Our sin had to be, to be forgiven and there needed to be a sacrifice. But in the new way of things, there will be no temple because the temple will be the new heaven and the new earth in the presence of God, the Almighty. And so we see this here, and, then, and it goes on to say, even more powerful, there will be no sun or, no, or moon. In a similar way, this is depicting the glory of God, like his brilliance and who he is will radiate. We will see him in all of his glory, and we're going to have a new way of things. And we will worship the almighty God. And listen to this. It even draws in the nations and the kings of this world. You know, if you remember, all for the book of Revelation, the nations and the kings of this world are depicted as what? as God's enemies, those who have had crowns and royalty, and Jesus was always above them in authority and in reign. And what we see here is that there's almost this picture of there will be one last chance for people to have an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. If that doesn't show you a loving, glorious God, I don't know. Always says that there will be no gates. The picture of this is that the gates of the city were always protected so no one could get in, so that no one could attack them, so that no one could persecute them anymore. And what we see here is a gate-free community where everyone is free, free to worship God in every way, shape, and form, in perfection. But here's the, the sad reality. In all of this, there's verse 27, and it says this in verse 27. It says, 
but though only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be allowed into heaven and into eternity. You see, the Bible is very clear that there is just, there's two options. We either put our faith in Jesus, and the Bible says that when we do that, for the forgiveness of our sins that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then on the day of return, Jesus will open that book, and he'll see if your name is written in there. And if it is, he'll say, welcome into heaven, my good and faithful servant. But the sad reality is that if you have not made that decision, if you have not made the decision uh, to live and to give your life to Jesus, to ask him for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible says your name will be blotted out of that book and you'll be cast away in eternal separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. Same place where Satan and... (laughs) Bad. (laughs) You know... There's no black and white. I mean, there's, there's, this is not me. This is the Bible. And we have a decision. You know, it's, I think a lot of people say, well, what about those people that have done real good? What about those who have said the right things and have done the right things? We will not be judged on the good things that we've done. In fact, there will be a lot of good people there. And if you remember, Jesus said in Matthew, that what will happen is, Lord, we did miracles in your name. Lord, we did these things in your name. We did all of these good works. And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And that's because they had not put their faith in Jesus Christ. My hope for you is that you would see the importance of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What we're going to see is one final thing. And it's this, is that Jesus will set right everything that has gone wrong in this world. There's so much brokenness in our world, right? Just turn on the news. All you got to do is turn the news on. And we see war and death and destruction uh, we see racism, and we see you know, political injustice, and we see all of these things, and we see just very, very difficult things. Myself, the things that I feel like have happened to me that are injustices, that, that have hurt me, that have harmed me, maybe you felt the same way. The Bible says that there will be a day when Jesus will make all of those things right, where he will right the wrongs of this world. You know, we live in it right now, we think, How? I wish I had all the details and all the answers, but I do know that he is going to make everything right. Chapter 22, verse 1 through 5, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will be there, there be a curse Upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. And please listen to this. And they, and the they there are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. It says, and they will reign forever and ever. It's almost this picture that we, God, who are you that you would be mindful of me, that you would love me, that you would do everything in your power to make what I made wrong right, and that one day, because of your love for me and because of the sacrifice that your son gave on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice, the pure and spotless lamb that was hung on the cross to be the sacrifice once and for all, you did that so that I could be in relationship with you and not just be in relationship with you, we get a picture of reigning with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
You see, this isn't a God that says, me, against, me above you. This is a God that says, I love you so much that I wanted to be in relationship with you. I created all of this for you, and we are going to worship. You're going to worship me, and we are going to reign forever. You know, many people think that, oh, it's just going to be God up there playing the harp, and we're just going to be floating around on clouds. That's absolutely not what the picture is. The picture is is that we are going to be new creation, new heaven, new earth, everything that we could imagine being perfect without the mar of sin, and we are going to be in the presence of God, reigning with him. Now, Christian in the room, because of that, we have this great hope. You know, a lot of people read Revelation and think, fear, end of the world, you're going to die. All of these things, the beast, like what's happening with our world and all of this stuff. But in reality, that's not what Revelation is about. Revelation is a book of hope, and it's a hope that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we'll one day get to spend eternity in God's presence. I can't wait for that. But here's the good news. It's not just for you and for me. If you're a follower of Christ, this isn't just for us. This isn't the insider club. This isn't, oh, we're Christians and you're not. In fact, this is for everybody. And I think that we should shout it from the rooftops. I think that we should tell our our friends and our family members and our coworkers and our loved ones and the world, we should tell them their need, their great need for Jesus. Because here's the truth. The final thing today is that everyone, everyone is invited to know Jesus this way. I want you to know that if you're in this room today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. He wants to give you life, both here on earth and in eternity. This whole passage, in fact, the entire book, or the entire book of the Bible, from Genesis 1 to Revelation, right here, this is what it's all about. People making mistakes, sin marring the world, and there only being one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And what we see here is that. If you have not done that, if you have not put your faith in him, it says, the spirit and the bride say, God says, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty. How many of you have gone in your life and you've tried to satisfy, you've tried to find things that would satisfy, and you were always thirsty? I know I have until I met Jesus. And it says, let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. God is inviting you to come. Will you come? Will you come? Listen, the way that we are able to come into the presence of God Almighty is through his son, Jesus Christ. The sin is a chasm. It puts a chasm between God and his people. And the only way to separate that chasm is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us in this room, and it's everyone in the world. And if you read just a few chapters later in Romans 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of, this, of that sin, the payment, the penalty of that sin is death, which literally means eternal separation from God. But there's hope. Because if you read just four chapters later in Romans 10, 9 at 10, it says, For if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him to the, from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved And emphatically, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And one day, when you stand before God on the day of judgment in his return, he will say to you, not because of what you've done or what you've said or who you are, but because of Jesus Christ. You put your faith in him. Well done, my good and faithful servant. My hope is that you would not leave here today without doing that. And maybe it's someone that you need to share that with if you're a follower of Christ. Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you love me enough that you would do what you did by sending your son, Jesus Christ, God, in the flesh from the glories of heaven to earth and to die a death that I deserved so that I could be in relationship with you. God, and the powerful idea of, of him being God and defeating death and raising to new life is a picture of the new life that I will one t- once have with you. For those in this room who have never done that, God, by the power of your spirit, would you tug on their hearts to make that decision today? For those in this room that have family members and friends and coworkers that need to make that decision, God, please give them the power and the move of the Holy Spirit to usher them into a conversation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.